Retro Rebel Gamecast is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released every Friday, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and I said, what else we're up to? Wow. <laughs> my name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. What are you up to? I'm just living my best life after many weeks of technical problems. I don't want to speak too soon, but I feel like we could have nailed it now. So. I feel like we've nailed it. We have. We have almost. We've almost foreseen and 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 fixed problems that haven't that haven't even arisen yet. Uh, for those of you that that don't know what we're talking about, well, we're on episode eighty-eight for the fourth time, uh, maybe. God, Lord. Yeah, we have we have we have struggled uh, with some technical issues and you know being across the pond and and just not really being able to have the time to hash these out. I think we've got it figured out, and uh, hopefully we will have a successful recording for you guys today. So that's the so, dream. and that is the dream. <laughs> it's just but a simple dream. Uh, so uh, I've heard that you were playing, uh, you know, a fairly um, contemporary. Uh, somewhat within the discussion game today. I I have been. In fact, I have been playing many new games this week. By many, I mean two, but that's a lot for me. That is <laughs> so. a lot. That is many, many more than one. Yeah, so I download and started playing the game Dauntless, which is I looked produced. at that. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, it's produced by the same people who produce Fortnite, but it's not made by them. It's made by another Who studios, but like Ep- Epic, Epic Games, I guess, got on board. Okay. okay. So, um, basically, you it's like Monster Hunter or Monster World or that game yeah. that came out, that Japanese game, except this is sort of like the Fortnite-style characters. Um, and you basically load into a big, like, open township you like stock up on weapons do a couple like easy quests first and then you go into a queue to fight monsters um and it's very much like some of the other monster hunter style games i've seen where there's just one big monster in this whole map that's it there are usually like two rounds uh the first round then the monster like runs and hides and then you go and find him again and and try to defeat him in the second round if you don't defeat him fast enough then he becomes too powerful and will probably wipe your team it's been pretty uncommon for a monster to get like in the danger zone and him not to wipe the team but overall if you fight monsters that are like normal difficulty uh you shouldn't have a team wipe you should be pretty successful i've got some mixed feelings about the game um it is fun but i feel like progression is 
it seems a lot slower than Fortnite because each Monster Hunter match is not that very long. So you actually have to do quite a few of them to make any progression whatsoever. And I don't know, to me, just going and hunting behemoths is not the most exciting thing that I've ever done. I enjoyed it for a day. I had a great time. Like, um... I probably killed every monster that I had access to. I think I'm level 10 now. Um, and I've killed them like multiple times. But because I'm not leveling up very fast, I just feel like, are there more monsters than that? Or like, have I seen all of them now? I just feel like they could be doing a bit more. And they also seem to be kind of pushing their battle pass quite strongly. Pretty much every time you load up the game, it's like, do you want to buy this season pass thing? Which is great, but... I don't think it would make it any more fun, so I haven't purchased it. Um, especially because it's a pirate costume, and I'm not that keen on it after my uh, unfortunate <laughs> incident. <laughs> um, right. So I've, I've been playing that, and then I've also just completed downloading. It took a full evening to install Red Dead Redemption 2. It's a two-disc situation. It takes forever to install. It took me hours, um, pretty yes. much the whole evening yesterday. And I have played two missions, and I am bored already, and I went back to watching YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah, it's really slow, man. I well, really I mean, you got to ride your horse wherever you're going. No, it's, it's boring. It's boring. <laughs> I don't enjoy this. I don't think it's fun. Yeah. Like, the shooting is slow. The walking is slow. I mean, can he even run? I haven't found the run button. Is running I think possible? you can. Yeah, uh, you can run. Uh, I think you start in a sprint, and then you kind of go to a more of a brisk jog. Uh, well, it's not super effective if you're trying to get away from anything, to be honest. Uh, or chase anybody, which I've done in the game. You chase somebody, and... Uh, if you give them too, too big of a head start, it's over with, man. Oh, mate. It was so dull. And then I realized you can, like, level up your horse by patting it. And then oh, I yeah, just, you got to pet it, I brush it. I found myself just sitting there for five minutes just mashing X to pat because I wanted to level up my pat. I was just like, what am I doing? So I'm not certain if I'll be able to get into the game. I've given it about 45 minutes of my life, and I was... M- mediocre, lukewarm on the concept. When it was over, yeah. Mm. Well, you know that is uh, that's a nice, nice segue to what we will ultimately talk about in our topic, which may or may never see the light of day. Well, hopefully so. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, good. Okay. Well, I played Red Dead, and I have not played it uh, this year, I don't think. Uh, and since it came out, I played it the first few months. They had an online uh, that was in beta for a while, and, and, and it was um, not quite as awful as Fallout 76 in terms of its reception or even its rollout. Uh, just complete garbage dumpster fire. But... There was still wasn't a lot to do necessarily, and so, uh, but it, it's not what I'm. It's not what I'm interested in necessarily. I, I think it would be cool if I had enough friends and there was things to do, like you could create your own like outlaw uh, gang and go rob banks or something. And uh, that seems like that would be fun for a minute, uh, you know, for a little bit, and you could go just jump into that world for that that short period of time, maybe. But um, yeah. I, 
it lost me very early as well. Maybe not quite as early as you, but it did lose me somewhat early. I don't know. It just doesn't seem fun. And, and I hate how you talk to people. I really hate pulling the trigger to interact with stuff and holding things down to search and pick up stuff. I don't know. It just seemed unnecessarily cinematic where I'm like, so what I have no, to do it is, very is, cinematic. is like knee every cabinet until you give me a prompt. Weird. <laughs> it was weird. Because that's what well, I was doing, a, yeah, just yeah. like kneeing cabinets. Like, oh, well, can I search this cabinet while I'm kneeing it? <laughs> <laughs> I I love the insight because that's that's not how I thought of it at all. But that is so very true. Um, <laughs> Too yeah. hard to please. No, I mean that's the thing is is the game the game was overwhelming to me when I got it. I mean it's like I I stayed in my camp and then you'd ride off into a particular area. And it, we've talked about this on other episodes. It's so easy in that game and other games like it, even going back as far as Skyrim, to venture off the beaten path on accident and get into an area that you should not be already and then they'll run you off or kill you so it doesn't yeah it doesn't take much doesn't take long and it, and it is it's a really big game it's beautiful it's very cinematic it has a pretty good story that because i chose on my own to to go research it i already know how it ends i know how the story goes uh i was i was completely okay with that uh without having to play it because it was just too much for me, and I knew I wouldn't. I, they've already had my money. I don't know what else they want. Well, they don't um, have my money because I rent my <laughs> games. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did well. You did well. I'm still learning. Um, well, I I did. I bought a new game, uh, an independent game, and it's also going to tie nicely into our topic today. But uh, I got Sea of Solitude. Sea of Solitude. Okay. It is the EA independent. Um, you know, the it's one of those one of those games that that EA is publishing, but uh, you know they they I you know I've seen a lot of cynical posts and videos that are saying that basically this is EA's way of kind of getting back into the good graces, you know, trying to clean up their image a little bit by publishing these smaller these smaller indie games, I guess. And uh, supporting these in independent studios, which I just know there's something nefarious in the background. Uh, you know, they, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, there's always a, the other shoe is going to drop and I'll wait for that to happen. But uh, anyway, so I, I got it because it, the, the graphics and the look intrigued me. I thought that it looked like a, it's cell shaded. Uh, it's, it's one of those games. I don't know if you ever played Journey. Uh, no, I'm, I'm no. almost positive you didn't. Uh I know I got it. I think I got it for free on uh, when for PlayStation when they were uh, you know their monthly games a few years ago. And Journey was one of those games that was very atmospheric. It was artistic. There wasn't a lot to it. You couldn't die in it. You basically just you could see ghosts of other people that looked just like you. It was like just a, a ghost of you going through. Uh, the the level and it was, it was a platformer so you're you know people are basically your ghost is showing you how to get through the level well that's actually other people playing the game right and so you're seeing them go through the same series of events that you're going through and it and it helps you but that's all that all was supposed to be a part of the experience that you're not alone and these other people are here with you and that you're journeying through that you're not all you're not alone on your journey and it was supposed to have some emotional 
And it was. I mean, it was. It's not like a, there were some people that have cried when they got done playing it. I didn't. I think I got too late to the game, but I did enjoy it, and I thought it was uh, a very. I, I I really enjoyed the game. It wasn't like my favorite game or one of my favorite games of the year, but I really enjoyed it. Um, sea of Solitude is is another one of those that type of game. Uh, only in Journey, there is no the protagonist doesn't speak. In this game, the protagonist does, which is fine. But uh, I don't know if you know Yahtzee Croshaw that does zero yeah, punctuation. Yeah, he does. I okay, know. yeah, I love his I love his show. I love the he did his a recent zero punctuation on it, and he hit a lot of the same issues that that I had with the game. Um, he hit hit him right on the head. Uh, basically, I'm okay with the with there being a protagonist that speaks, but the problem is is that there's there's a lot of telling and not enough showing, or there's a lot of telling and showing at the same time. So basically, they're walking you through something, and instead of me being able to interpret it and feel it myself, they're telling you exactly what you should feel right now, you know, and what is going on instead of... And, and what I enjoy about games like this, because I, I play games like this a lot, you, or whenever I can, whenever I find one, I, I try to play it. The uh, I, I enjoy being able to to kind of chew up the scenery and, and look at it myself and interpret what's going on. I love the music. It's very atmospheric. And from there, I get all the emotion. And, and this hasn't, it hasn't hooked me emotionally at all. I mean, you know, it, it's supposed to be about depression and, and all, and, and uh, you know, and mental health. And uh, I'm not finished with it, but I've gotten I'm about halfway through the game. Uh, in terms of like just the graphics and, and the aesthetics, it's a it's a really pretty game. It's got a its own unique visual style, cell shaded. Uh, you know the the main character is is uh, a little girl, but she's kind of all black and gray with red eyes, and uh, you know, like I said, everything is pretty much ham fisted. I mean, it's it's like really blatant hitting you over the head with whatever it's trying to tell you. And, and, uh, so when you go into like a shadow area where there's a monster, well, that's a bad area. It's corrupted. You have to go in there and uncorrupted the, the, the sun comes back and then you can venture about that area freely. So anyway, it's, I, I've been, I've enjoyed the game. It's, it's definitely not on the level with journey or anything like that. Um, but it's pretty, it's, it's pretty and it's, I guess it's like a you get a you get a B plus for effort maybe, just you did you did good. It's just not great. If that, <laughs> it, it's it's better than all oh, that's adorable. It's a it's a well put together game. It's just there's not a lot to it, and and which is also okay because like I said, Journey had one button and you couldn't die, and it was still a good game. This you can die, and 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 it's got some of the things in it that I'm actually kind of terrified of, and I don't know what the phobia is called, but one of the main monsters in the game is this giant. It's almost like a furry fish whale caterpillar hybrid thing that that swims in the water, and it's got big red eyes, and basically you can follow it and track it as it swims around the whole the these buildings and these. It's like Venice, and these buildings are like submerged midway into the water and you just take your boat from building to building hop off you have to you know uh perform certain actions or events to keep the story moving forward um but um yeah that that particular monster which is giant you it's constantly there and if you get in the water no matter where it is it starts to come for you 
that gets a little tense, but I, that may just be me specifically because that's something that I am terrified of um, personally. So, so eh, I don't know how you rent a, a $19 or $17 game, but you probably, you probably won't. No, probably not. They're, they usually focus on, like, major titles. Um, so an indie game would have to get, like, re-released by a major publisher for it to be picked up in the catalogs for the most part. Right. And, I mean, it is EA. It's an EA game, but I still think because it's an indie, I doubt it will get released like that. No, I've, I've actually, it since it's their only indie release, it probably would be. Because, um... The We Happy Few, which was an indie release, got picked up. I was able to rent that. So nice. Okay. It just depends well, how popular it is. Well, very good. Well, maybe you will. Uh, it, maybe it won't cost you anything, and I bet you it doesn't. I, I played it for a couple hours yesterday, and I have a feeling that if I played it two or three more hours, it's it'll be done. So. Well, that brings us to our gaming news. Did you have any news in particular that you wanted to share? Uh, I did have some news. Let me pull up the article. So, this is an article from gov.uk, our government website, saying, uh, yeah, saying that the commercial gaming industry offers creative solutions to defense analysts, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, So, the wargaming experts at Defense Science and Technology Laboratory are harnessing the creative talents of the commercial gaming industry to bring a novel approach to their work. Um, So, basically, they are adopting a military strategy game-based decision-making logic for their... Um, educational uses for training troops Um, so they're saying that their traditional simulators aren't actually as fun and in some instances as realistic as commercial games can get so they're looking at the yeah so they're looking at the um, application of traditional video games in their like usability and engagement levels uh, like command and flashpoint Um, let's see what other options they're saying. Oh, and they're working with a supplier called Slytherin Games, which I guess is a local supplier, um, in order to improve their own simulation games. They're basically, like, bringing in private video game companies in order to consult on their wartime simulations. So I think that's, that's quite cool. Um, that is cool. And the contract is worth $1.5 million over a two-year period. So a private gaming firm got a $1.5 million pound contract to consult with the government. I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, that is cool. And it just it kind of is a throwback to when we were talking about um, games having real-world implications. We were talking about Google's cloud servers and Google using our data. Um that I think we could be solving useful problems with our gaming and not even know it. Like this one. Like this one. Well, how about that? There you go. Um, I I don't have a lot of news. Um, I did have uh, a, just a, a, a quick blurb that uh, the original Diablo is now playable in your browser. 
so the 1996 classic RPG uh, <laughs> cool. is available to play uh, for free uh, in your in your as shareware uh, or a shareware version of it can be played in your browser. So that's didn't cool. they port it to the Switch as well? Isn't it like pretty Diablo Three is this is the original. So um, oh yeah, the old school, the OG. The OG, the original. Um, it is it is available for free, but yeah, and and another interesting, uh, I guess on along those along that line is outer the outer worlds, that new uh, Obsidian RPG in the you know in the in yeah. likeness of, of uh, Fallout and all that is coming to Switch as well. So what platform I, is that on right now? It's not on anything yet, but when it's released, it will be released on Switch as well. So uh, I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was cool, especially in light of EA recently saying that people do not want to play EA games on the Switch. And I think I, I have also a watched that Jim Sterling episode. <laughs> well, I I saw that I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard it. I, I I saw the 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 tagline. I haven't watched it yet, but I saw the the actual headline, and then I saw his episode, and I want to listen to it. But maybe you'll have some feedback. I mean, I have an idea why, but I I think it's because Nintendo handles microtransactions differently. Well, and yeah, and they're they're online platform isn't really strong enough to handle the games as a service that EA absolutely likes to make so right. you know it's just not very lucrative it wouldn't hold up an anthem for example you couldn't port it over but to they play platform. Fortnite you can play Fortnite on it yeah, but Fortnite is much less graphically challenging as well. That's true. So that we're is talking true. about like graphical base lag. Like I don't even think you would be able to play Dauntless on it because there are like high density particle effects in Dauntless right. that even cause particle related lag on the Xbox over a weaker connection like the one I have. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And and uh but i but i highly doubt that it's it's strictly like this altruistic or or completely objective non financially based decision by ea to say no you know people just really don't want our games on there that's that's um that is pardon my french bullshit <laughs> well they've um, pretty much stopped making single player experiences and the switch is partially meant to be portable so how are you supposed absolutely. to enjoy it portably you can't yeah. So uh, maybe even dominantly no portable. Money. Yeah, it, it maybe sixty to seventy percent of it, of the time people spend on the on the switch is is a, you know untethered traveling or whatever. I took it on the plane when me and my son went to Houston. Yeah, we well, were traveling. there you go. That whole time you're not giving a microtransaction, so why would they bother? Exactly, man. They um, they're they're just good people, is what they are. I think um, the best paragons of virtue, if you will. If you will, <laughs> yeah. If I can, if I may, uh, paragons of virtue. Words never uttered in the same sentence with EA and and AAA. Uh, well, anyway, I think so that's the, probably a pretty good segue into our main topic. <laughs> it really is. It really is. So, 
I had another piece of news about the Epic Universe from uh, Universal Studios that they're going to start. Uh, and this was mainly for you. I thought you'd appreciate it that the Super Nintendo Universe is going to be a part of that. So basically, they're going to have a theme park that has major Super Nintendo themes to it, like Mario and Luigi. Maybe even a, even a, a kart racing area where you can Mario I mean, Kart your butt off. This I could not care less, actually. Oh, it's so. the best, and you could. It's in Florida. Maybe one day you'll be there, and you'll be able to go to it, and it will be it will be the destination of choice for you. I mean, spending that much time surrounded by Nintendo, what more could I want? I can't imagine uh, anything. To be honest, so uh, so definitely something you'd be looking forward to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which segues much less gracefully to our main topic, which is what in the heck is going on with the game industry, and and where is it going, and and where would we like it to go, and maybe where do we think it's going to actually go, so which could meaty. be a sadder. What's that? Such a meaty topic, this. It is a meaty topic, and, and probably good that we're starting it now so that we can uh, maybe uh, fill, we'll probably fill up the rest of the time talking about it. Um, so the state, if you, were to, if you were to kind of put the state of video games into um, a meaty walnut shell, what would you, how would you describe it? How would you personally describe it? Because I have thoughts of my own. But So how would I describe the gaming industry right now? Yeah, like where it is, like what what's dominating? Where where do you where do you see it? Uh, you know, where are the trends? Well, I see it as a lovely sarlacc pit. So <laughs> it it sucks you in for sixty dollars, and then it drains very slowly the life essence out of your body with premium coins and you know season passes and collectibles and clothing items and eventually you're just a dry shallow husk surrounded by a bunch of fake stuff you can never use again in any other game ever and then you uninstall it that's that's bleak but that's what i find that's bleak oh man well can't we all be boba fett and climb out of this sarlacc pit I mean, I uh, did know that you were going to instantly make a Boba Fett reference, but I went for it anyway. <laughs> oh, any 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 way we can tie it to some other nerdery and and Star Wars in general, um, I will attempt. Uh, that actually may be a, a really good title for this episode: is game the gaming industry is a lovely sarlacc pit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I I couldn't agree more in terms of like where I think we are currently. I think that the vast majority of gaming is is moving towards um, a, a gaming as a service uh, and, and, and streaming and digital products. So whether that be microtransactions, uh, whether that be downloading, downloading your games uh, virtually, uh, I actually bought uh, Avengers Endgame this weekend, or this, I guess, Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was released, digitally, Strictly because it was convenient, and it comes out two weeks early. And the and the minute I did it, I had a light bulb come on, and it said, "You know what? And you know why they're doing this? They may have other reasons, but one of the main reasons that they're doing this is so that they can get you untethered and un, un and no longer relying on that that hard copy of the of it's the two week early convenience factor 
is just a, one of the big reasons why you you would move away from the physical medium and and it and it again it, it it's when I have these revelations and it makes me angry and I'm like man if I but I really wanted it but I'm probably still gonna spend the extra money on a hard copy as well I'm gonna buy two copies of it um, so that I do have a physical copy of it and I and I can take it anywhere I can take it into my car because right now it's on my PlayStation unless I have PlayStation View which I'm not even sure that I can access my movies from PlayStation view. And then I think I can access that app on Roku or some other services. Unless I have that, then I can only watch it on a TV that is tethered to my PlayStation. So I own it, but only as long as again, like these other digital products, there's a server that's providing that and will stream it for me because it's not downloaded onto my hard drive. It's not, it streams. I paid for it, but it streams from PlayStation. So, uh, you know, I, that's that's kind of the general state. I think we're seeing a decline in first person, uh, not first person, but uh, in single player adventures that are uh, where that are not where you no longer where you don't have to be tethered uh, to the internet. You don't have to be online to access the game. Uh, but I don't think that is because there is less of a demand. I think that is because the industry is trying to move everything that particular direction. I don't think it's because there's less of demand. And and Sekiro is one of those games that 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 speaks to that. Dark Souls speaks to that. Pretty much everything that comes out on Nintendo uh, speaks to that, selling hundreds of thousands and millions of copies. Um, so anyway, I think that's that's more or less where we are, which is not quite as bleak. But I mean, it is. It's every bit as bleak as what you said. I just didn't. Uh, I didn't dress it up as as pretty as you did. Well, that's so with, why with I'm analogies in marketing and metaphors. there, Sonny Boa. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> no, Which is it, why I, mean, I, th- I yeah. think the reason why they're moving away from single player games is because there is less opportunity to psychologically manipulate you, because there's no herd mentality available. If there's no herd, there's no herd mentality. So right. single-player game has inherently less revenue-generating potential. And the Kotaku article that you shared sort of highlighted how expensive it is to make games. Fine. But instead of just raising the base price to something achievable, instead of maybe moving their headquarters out of one of the most expensive places on the United States continent to live... Um, they're insisting on doing things exactly the same and making the money up on the back end on microtransactions. And that means that a very small proportion of people, often ones who have behavioral control issues and maybe even to a certain extent impulse control issues, are funding the deficit and they make a ton and ton of money because the revenue potential is uncapped in a live services scenario. You know, when I played MMOs, and even now sometimes when I play MM, like multiplayer mobile games or multiplayer online games, I don't stop at 60 pounds. Like, I right. will spend probably 20 to 30 quid a month 
while I'm playing it. And then I get bored of it and then I uninstall it and then I find something else. So I'm I'm not I'm definitely not a whale. I think they class a whale as someone who's spending like a hundred or more. But right. I am definitely sort of that core demographic that loses track of how much I've actually paid for this. So when you can buy the base experience for sixty dollars Everybody that is engaging in microtransactions is spending double, triple, quadruple that amount over the lifetime that they play the game. That's not really fair. What they should be doing is giving you the whole damn game like they used to do and just set the base price at an equal share so everybody is paying the same amount and getting the same experience because that's sort of what is inherently unfair about it. Like, there are people that I see in games that are either have too much money or too foolish with their money who have stuff in the game that I'm just never going to be able to achieve because I don't have that much time and I get bored of things perhaps quicker than I have money to spend to accelerate my experience. So... It just it just doesn't seem as equal of a playing field as it used to be, not even 10 years ago. Like, this microtransaction stuff is really, really new. And I think right, we all right. forget that. We've kind of gotten used to this premium currency. I remember when the concept of a premium currency came out and people were losing their shit. Now people are defending right. video <laughs> game developers and saying, well, it costs a lot to make games. Great. The cost of a base price of a game hasn't gone up in 10 years. It hasn't followed inflation. So put the base price of the game up so everybody pays a little bit more, but you're actually preventing people from spending so much that they damage themselves or others. You know, like, sometimes you need to be a little responsible, and at the moment they're being incredibly greedy. Like, the amount of money they make off of microtransactions is, like more than any game ever made like in the height of early gaming because it's just it's uncapped it never stops it's madness right no and with G gta <laughs> literally releasing a casino uh which is yeah. you know with jim sterling talking about the you know this is literal gambling in gaming uh, but it had its own, it had restrictions on it. And that game by itself is a mature game. So the argument that that is uh, something that uh, that someone, there there is a check in there to begin with, that people under the age of 18 shouldn't be buying that game anyway. Yeah, However, but we know still, that, that, that level no, of no, no, regulation no, I, is unacceptable. I, I agree, and, and uh, I, I still, but I'm, I'm at, I guess it, I, I feel bad I feel guilty giving it any credit at this point, but the fact that it, it does have at least one barrier to it where people have to be accountable, like, I think that's kind of where I draw the line, where we should be accountable at that point, because, and there may be one or two other exceptions to the rule, but I mean, the consumer is has to have some level of responsibility going in, knowing that, okay, my kids should not play this game, it has mature on it, these are the themes Literally, you can spend money to buy fake money to spend in-game. And it's it's at a casino. That's pretty explicit. Yeah, but here's the other The other things thing. you can do... No, wait, though. There's a difference between mature themes and actual outright gambling. Like, in the casino industry, of which I have 
over a decade of experience, nearly 15 years of experience, like, every single person who looks under the age of 25 gets ID'd at the door in a casino. If you play at the casino and you win or you lose whatever, a certain amount, they do another check. They do further checks on your ID. You have to provide bank statements. They have to make sure that everything is legit. And if you were underage and you won or you lost a significant amount, they negate all of your bets. Like, that is the company, the gambling company's responsibility to do. If they are caught with underage people in the casino, they lose their gaming license, like door shut down or they get huge fines. So the idea that it's the consumer's job to protect themselves from gambling is actually not the case anymore. Because that is actually, the onus is now on the gambling company. So like, let's say, for example, you went into the casino and you played for five hours straight and you started looking like you were getting agitated or whatever. It is the casino staff's job to take you aside, to make sure that you are okay, to ask you if you need any information about helping uh problem gambling like that is now the responsibility of the casino if someone's found to be a problem gambler and the staff knew about it or they didn't report any suspicions then the casino gets fined there are zero checks in place with relation to that and that's what i find disturbing about the game industry right now is that the idea, the audacity of putting a real casino in where, depending on your jurisdiction, I have heard that you can spend real money to buy the fake chips in the game that is identical to actual gambling, where you use real money to buy fake chips in the casino. And the difference is you can't cash those chips back. You never right, get your right. real money again. It's actually worse than real-life gambling. <laughs> and I never thought that I would see something worse than real-life gambling. Right. That's such a good point. And I think that's something that's not really made clear in any of the videos that I've seen about it to, to really spell it out for people who are, who want to defend it or are considering defending it or, or maybe don't completely understand the gravity of it. If, if they can in other, in other places, put the onus on the actual casinos, uh, I think that that speaks uh, uh, that speaks to how powerful gambling is to begin with. And if that's the case, this is a no brainer to me. How, if you can, even in one degree, you know, separation or, or difference, if, if it's close enough to gambling and we know how powerful gambling is for people and it's powerful enough that we put the responsibility on the casinos, then how can you defend the mechanics in a game that are preying upon people who don't understand i mean and haven't even had the opportunity to experience what you know i guess the mechanic and how it works in the brain i mean it is it is addictive it's uh, it feeds impulsive behavior i mean and and it's costing people real money it's it's awful it's terrible I, you know i just i think it's so funny that the gaming companies are at the moment able to get away with behavior that we would not tolerate from a bar we would not tolerate from a cigarette dispensary we would not tolerate from pretty much any shopping outlet i mean imagine if all of a sudden i started spending 
thousands of dollars on Amazon. My credit card company would block my card. They would like right. stage essentially an intervention to find out if I intended to make these purchases. Like there are a lot of checks in this world to save people from themselves. I mean, if you want to buy full fat Coca-Cola over here, it costs you 30 cents more. Like right. if you want to use a, a plastic bag instead of bring your own cloth bag, it's five cents a bag. Like there are a lot of things in place to discourage people from bad behavior um, or to encourage Those seem them to make to, sense. Yeah, encourage them <laughs> to have limits. So, I, you know, I just, I really think that, and I am a victim of it as well to a certain extent because I have... I've not very good um, impulse control, especially when like I really want to win. And I've spent loads of money on mobile games and things like that. Obviously not outside of my means. And I wouldn't say that right. I display any problem gambling tendencies or anything like that. But I've definitely reached a point in some games where I've been like, this is too much now. Like, right. I need to right. stop playing this. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm spending 20 quid a week on this game. And, like, it's actually not that fun or whatever. Like, there are people who cannot stop, you know. Right, right. And it's too easy. It's so easy. It's it's two buttons. Nowadays, it's so easy to push two or three buttons and, and through PayPal or whatever means you have set up for transactions. There's, they've made it very easy to start and to continue and very difficult to stop in that, you know, f- sometimes finding in the, in the UI or the, whatever the hit, the, 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 w- in one of the menus to either unsubscribe or delete this particular account or find your payment method and change or stop it. Just canceling subscription sometimes is such a pain in the ass that it, it, it's made that way purposefully so that you either can't, you get deterred. You're like, well, maybe it's not that bad. You've already changed your mind. And then you continue on, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, like I, what I think is so funny is that there's also no checks in place to prevent you from burning out your customers. So like, so no, they don't even care. Well, but that's the problem really, because it's, that is what is going to kill the financial side of the gaming industry. Right. So, like, right, in a casino, if someone is a problem gambler and they can self-ban themselves or the casino can ban them for six months to a year, there is nothing less than that. So six months, ban, automatically. When that happens, every other casino connected to that casino, so let's say, like, all the ones in the area, all get alerted about the ban. So you can't go to any of them. It's for your own good. And that's just bog standard. If you get banned at a bar for, like, drinking too much and acting a fool, you can't go back there. And oftentimes, bars on the same strip will be aware and will kind of do, like, a, you know, a high street ban and just say, no, you, you you can't drink here. However, there's no mechanic in place for video game companies to identify people that are problem gamers... Um, who, well, where they're worried about them playing games for too long, but they've got no concern for how much money they're spending well, on it. And I think that I think that both are being identified. 
the information is just used in a different way. The information is now used to see how do we maximize profit on that individual? How do we continue to throw things in their face so that they are, you know, they have a constant temptation to continue to spend money? Um, But what actually ends up happening there is you get Gamblers Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous of the world where people just have to say, nobody was looking out for me and now my only choice is to never do this again. Like, just never play a single game. And I think that's a a good... I think that's a good segue to to like where I want to go with this is so where do you think it's going? And so I, I think that you will have a bit more educated opinion on ultimately like because we've talked about where it is. We're 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 kind of hinting at where it's going to go. And then I'd like to I'd like to end the conversation by talking about where it should go, you know, be more positive. Uh, but in in my opinion, where I think this is going is ultimately like you said, in the gym industry, I was in the fitness industry for a long time, and, and one of the things that, that there, there's really two, two main policies, two strategies, business strategies uh, for owning a gym. You either have a revolving door policy or you have one where you are, and I, I don't know what the, the alternative term is for it, but basically instead of a revolving door, you, have, you keep your clients. So the revolving door, meaning you're going to just have people coming in and leaving and coming in and leaving and, and volume is really what you're about. So you're about getting as many people in the door as possible. You don't care how many necessarily leave because ultimately you're hoping that they just continue to pay money and, and don't show up because like, like, let's say for instance, planet fitness, which has a really low monthly rate. Uh, it's like $10 is their monthly fee, something like that. And you have uh, like a fee at the end of the year and a sign-up fee, and that's like your two big fees. But $10 a month is nothing, and so most people will, or to some people, $10 a month, they, they may not even show up at all because they're like, oh, I'll eventually go. It's only 10 bucks. I can go to any of those Planet Fitnesses, but they don't ever go. And you may have 1,500 members and 300 show up over the course of a month, like regularly. And you can handle that kind of volume because if all 1,500 showed up, you couldn't. But because they know it's so cheap and people aren't necessarily going to cancel, they just keep that revolving door going. The higher-end gyms have to try to keep their clients. They know all, their, they know all of the, the, the patrons' names. They know kind of what they like. They make sure they have their towel when they get there. They call them by their name. They've got a place for their keys. It's just much more personable because they want to keep them. They want that return business because ultimately, and I'm not, a, I'm not in business, but the people that I know that are in business, the ones that take care of their customers, that ends up working out best, better for them in the end in terms of like longevity and, and having these repeat customers, having people that continue to come back, word of mouth, all of that stuff seems to work out. It seems like, and in my opinion, how if it stays the way that it's going, it is going to collapse on itself. You cannot make all of the money ever and that's what it sounds like and what it looks like they're trying to do is make all of the money and that's just not sustainable you know that's not you can't just keep giving bigger and bigger checks and bigger and bigger uh you know bonuses to to ceos and to your shareholders you can't keep making more money on one end and paying these other people less or continuing to fire them it's not a sustainable model and i think that if it continues to go the way it's going to go the big companies are going to collapse 
and you're going to have a lot of independent uh, indie companies that are making small games, but the big companies, the big games, I think one by one, they will they will collapse or be regulated if it stays the way that it is going. That's just yeah. I guess a big picture how I see it going. See, I see uh, intense consumer backlash. I mean, I see people finally realizing that they are paying infinity dollars for a game. <laughs> right. You know, because the, it will continue it will never have a definitive end. You will only have so much time. So the game that you choose to play for a month or a year or whatever will get infinity dollars. It will continue to find ways to teach you that you need to have this thing or do whatever because that's what everybody else has and that sort of thing and then I think people will want regulation Uh, more stories of people emptying their bank accounts will come out because the stigma of that will be reduced there's nothing wrong with supporting creators and a free to play game is absolutely fine as long as there's some limits on how much money that you can be spending. I feel like Fortnite, to a certain extent, does this fairly responsibly. They do have some, like, you can obviously buy the premium currency and buy cosmetic items, but if you just want to play the game and you want to get the season pass and pay, you know, nine quid every, I don't know, eight weeks or however long it is, it's actually not that bad. Over a course of a year, you're only playing double what you would pay for a standard game. However, there are way more releases. Each season has brand new content. So it's basically like you're purchasing the second game in the series with each new season and it's not mandatory you don't have to you know all that sort of stuff i think is fine but what i think they will need to start doing and regulators are going to start looking at is eliminate this sort of psychological stuff um eliminate the uh unlimited cap on how much money that you can spend like there needs to be an end there needs to be a point where you have all the things because other than that, it's just predatory. I also think they're going to have to look at their um, business model when it comes to staff and their working conditions. I think you're right. I don't think it's sustainable. It's not allowed over here in the EU, and the EU turns out some pretty good games. So it right. it is possible to do it and to set realistic expectations and realistic PR schedules for your games and maybe reduce the amount of flashy marketing and things like that. You know, I didn't see any marketing about Dauntless. I found it through the store and I enjoyed it for a day or two. It was fine. You know, I saw tons of marketing about Red Dead Redemption. I played it for 45 minutes and I couldn't be arsed. So I just, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think that the the way that it's going is that people will cry out for regulation. They'll cry out for intervention, which will cause the collapse of companies who are not set up to operate that way. I think you'll see um, dominance coming out of the European Union because they are attracting video game companies kind of hand over fist by offering um, tax breaks for them to go into the EU but they do also have to play by EU working conditions which means minimum I think 25 days holiday a year Um, you know after two years you can't just sack somebody they'll take you to tribunal court and even then there are specific legal reasons how you can get rid of people Um, and, and I think it'll be good 
if those things happen. I think the industry needs to reset. Yeah, and the pendulum needs to swing the other way. Maybe not, and sometimes it does swing the other way just as far, and I hope it doesn't do that necessarily, but get back to some sort of balance. Um, I agree. I, I think the ones that aren't, aren't willing or aren't able to adapt, which most of, most of these American AAA companies are not set up to adapt that way. They're not set up that way. And they're set up to continue to consume and, 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 and just consume really. They, and then churn things out that will make more money. But what we're finding, and, and I think even the example with the sea of solitude, which is a, is a pretty game about a topic but it's not really a man. It's it's hard. I don't even want to take away anything from someone who created this game because I know that they worked hard on it and they, you know, or at least I assume they worked hard on it. And maybe this was a passion project for him. I haven't I haven't read much about the the designer necessarily, but it comes across as a game that's somewhat vapid. Like it is a it is about mental health. It is about depression, but maybe only in name and and there's not a lot of not a lot of passion in it. There's not a lot. It's, it's, it's almost like it's a passionless project about it's, it's a, it's, it's like reading, reading the definition of depression. If that makes sense, that's kind of what playing the game is like, okay, I, I know what depression is, but this does not make me feel I'm not in the shoes of this person that feels this way. And I'm, I'm not getting the emotion from it that maybe I, I should, or that they intended. And I feel like that's kind of a good example of a triple a, uh, game publisher that's trying to do something artsy, but it's kind of like an Android trying to tell you how much they love you and they, but they don't understand the concept of love. <laughs> so they're just saying it with no emotion and maybe just defining it to you. And you're like, uh, you, you know, you missed the entire point of this. And, uh, so anyways, that, that's, that's kind of, I see that as well. Um, well, you know, kind of switching gears and to wrap this up how, where do you see this going and or, or where would you like it to go where if this was going to be fixed you know in in five minutes or so and we were going to discuss it, <laughs> fix this whole thing in five five to ten minutes um what what would you say kind of needed to happen or what what would you like to see um because like one of the things that i would really like to see is i would like i don't want to see the physical medium go away completely. I would like, uh, I would like that to always be an option, maybe in limited release, but it'd be available. You know, uh, even if you had to order it to be shipped to me where they could print it individually, which may save on some cost. Uh, you know, you don't have to have an inventory ready. You can have, you can have it printed as needed. I mean, lots of companies do that where they take major orders and they don't even ship them out for two or three weeks. Uh, because they're waiting for a big enough order, then they mass produce it and then they ship it out. I mean, um, that might be an option. I don't know. I just, I don't like the idea of, of losing access to our, to our, to what, to what we purchase, what we own, to our items. Um, that's one thing. Um, but I, and I've got others, but what do you think? What, what would be some good, uh, a positive direction for this and some things that you'd like to see? Well, I also think that we need to retain physical medium. I mean, I rent my games. So even though I don't keep them, I wouldn't be able to do that 
with digital media, which yeah. means that I wouldn't be able to play the number of games that I am able to play now just because I wouldn't be able to rationalize the cost of them. You know, yeah. I pay 120 pounds a year roughly and I play every game that I want. You know, that is yeah. fractional of the type of money that yourself and Daniel and other people are spending on games. And it's just because I can wait until two weeks after <laughs> release or two months after right. release. I don't care. You know, like I'll play it when I get it. Um, and if it's a game that I really, really love, that's when I purchase it. You know, I have purchased on release date digitally uh, every game that I truly, truly love, which is the Mass Effects, the Dragon Ages, and the Witchers. Other than that, I don't care. You don't get my money. I'm going to rent you. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and then that way I don't feel so bad about purchasing add-ons or additional things because I know that I'm only paying uh, 10 pounds to play this game. So if I spend another 10 pounds on some items in the game, I don't mind. What I would like to see is just as much rigor and care in this industry that every other industry that has adult content or potentially addictive forming content the type of rigor they have to do. You go to a movie theater, they check your ID. You go to a casino, they check your ID. You have a problem with drinking or gambling, whatever. They are responsible as vendors for ensuring that you are safe. It's not the responsibility of the consumer, and it shouldn't be when people have illnesses like problem gambling and alcohol addiction and all sorts. And video game addiction is a real thing. It is now classified. And that is not just time spent playing, but it is money spent on playing as well. And I think that needs to be recognized and dealt with. I would love to see a publisher come out and say that their base game is $100 and then you get the whole thing. You get every additional expansion, everything all included you know it could be two hundred dollars i would like them to say up front what the cost for the whole bloody thing is because right. right now the whole thing is unachievable for any game right. like this i mean imagine what it would cost in fortnite for example to get every skin every weapon every character it's it's incalculable Right. And and that is what I think is unfair and that's what I'd like to see changed in the future is I want everybody to be able to get everything with the money that they spend and I want them to know what that costs up front. And look, if it is $200 or whatever, then so be it. We'll decide if it's worth it for us to buy it. Right. And if the consumers decide it isn't, then those type of games will stop being made. But right now, it's just unfair. It's like a bait and switch. And yeah. and that's sort of the problem for me. No, I I agree 100%. I think that if they're more if they're up front with the game price and if they if you know, they keep saying that ga games cost so much to make. And that's true. I mean, I I I've read the article and and it is absolutely true that they cost so much to make. Just um I don't know, just making sure that they are transparent with everything, that they are uh, letting you know exactly how much everything costs, uh, you know, and then and then including all the DLC and everything in it. I don't think people would have a problem paying $70, 80 $90 for a game. 
I don't think they'd have a problem paying a hundred dollars for a game if it's if it's coming with three or four like even the spider-man game uh had had dlc that i i paid for up front cost a little bit more i think it i'm not sure exactly how much it was i think it ended up costing 80 bucks for the game but i got three downloadable three sets of dlc for that and I got it when it came out. So, like, as soon as it came out, the DLC, I, I got it. And But they had a base game that didn't have that, you know, that, that, that you didn't necessarily have to pay for that. And, and I, I want to say that that's kind of the delineation and it's kind of a gray area where I was okay with the base game and then paying the, the 15 extra bucks to get all of the DLC if you wanted it. But it's gotten so far and so distorted from that. Uh, you know, if you just wanted to play the game, it was a great game in and of itself. If you wanted the DLC, which really didn't impact the story necessarily, it took you on a different... It extended it, it added on to it, but it wasn't necessary to really enjoy the game. Well, then you didn't have to pay the extra 15 bucks. The problem is, is that that probably worked for their business model, and, and I think it was Insomniac that did that. And they 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 still have goodwill with the consumer. There are a lot of companies that do not, and a lot of companies that aren't doing it that way, and and don't have the consumer necessarily in mind, and aren't transparent about how it works, and and probably aren't from a business perspective. All, everything's not all on the up and up. I mean, we're finding so much more about what's really going on, how backwards a lot of these gaming companies are you know they were basically run by a bunch of buddies and friends and now they're big time companies and they you know and they and they're just not um they're not functioning like or maybe they are functioning just like a big corporation and uh we're just getting to see kind of how those work uh you know because they're games and and uh you know and that's something we're interested in it's just not sustainable. I would like to see that, you know, the price of games go up just if that's what it takes to get, uh, you know, to, to get the, the full game and also allow these publishers to meet the demands, take the microtransactions, uh, especially at least the, the ones that uh, that kind of feed these, these gambling impulses. Uh, any pay-to-win mechanic to be gone, uh, you know, and, if, and, and generally speaking that you should be able to, if it's, if it's being purchased, you should be able to get it in the game. That would be my ideal thing. If you can, if you can purchase it, you can also earn it in the game and not some ridiculous (laughs) level of play that it would take to actually earn it. Um, but you know, no pay to win mechanics, no items that would actually affect, you know, your, your, your stats. Um, skins and things I, I'm, I'm cool with and, and cool with those being added. But just, you know, if, if you can if you can purchase it, you can earn it in-game. So I don't know that we're going to necessarily fix this. I hate the direction that it's going. And we're, I mean, the Stadia will be out soon. Uh, the Stadia, even, even Google's even gone on record saying that they can't, they didn't say specifically they can't guarantee your games. They just kind of spoke around it. So, like, you're going to be able to download, buy games and download them, but you aren't guaranteed to be able to keep them because they're going to be yeah. streamable and you're not going to have them downloaded. So, it's just going to be interesting to see. It's just... We're, Depends it's, how much they cost, really, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I don't know that the cost will be any different. That's the thing. It's like Well, then forget that. I mean, you know, yeah. they need to make it cheaper <laughs> if 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 it's going to be like a rental, it needs to be priced like a rental. Right. Yeah, if I can play it as long as I'm a part of Stadia and I I don't, you know, there's a lot of questions that have not been answered by Stadia and I guess we'll see in the coming months when it's released. But well that that uh I guess that's a positive note, so... <laughs> yeah, close enough. Yeah, Not yeah, as depressing as enough. some of our... Oh, man, some of our lost episodes, people, you have no idea. We got deep. I know. It, it deep and, and, and depressing, so... <laughs> but that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templategeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions... Sound off in the comments or email us at RetroRebel at TempleOfGeek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.